You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. So today we're beginning a three-part teaching series uh, called Spiritual But Not Religious, which is something uh, we've touched on before, but never actually dove completely into. So over the next three Sundays, um, we're going to be talking about the SBNR movement. Yes, it's an acronym, Uh, Spiritual But Not Religious Movement, and uh, how we may or may not fit into that here. At Central, I think we do, uh, but you may disagree, and you're always welcome to. Uh, I think it's a really interesting topic that can help us understand ourselves better, uh, and certainly others, and perhaps even religion, faith, spirituality, all that better, uh, and whatever we mean by that. <laughs> uh, but I shouldn't assume everyone has heard of this term or movement before. Uh, spiritual but not religious. So let me begin by just laying some groundwork. And I'm just going to mostly use SBNR here this morning as a as a little shorthand. The SBNR movement is based on this, of course, popular claim that people make today when they're asked about their religious affiliation, they'll respond and say, well, I'm not really affiliated with anything. I'm spiritual, but not Religious. Has anyone ever said that before? I'm just curious. A quick, quick poll. Don't be, don't lie. This is church. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm. I see those hands. Um, I think I've said it. Well, I don't know if I have or not, but uh, I've thought it before. You know. Um, and even if you haven't, I'm confident most of you have heard somebody say it, or you've seen it online or in the media. That kind of thing. Uh, The roots of the SBNR movement are really diverse, which is to say that I think numerous things have given rise to it, and I'll list just a few of those here. First, I think a deep sense, uh, a deep moral sensibility is behind it, which which is to say I think many people have left organized religion in the West, namely Christianity, because they're just done with the homophobia, the sexism, the patriarchy, the callous indifference, and frankly, outright hostility to social justice movements, the exclusivism, which is to say this idea that our religion is the only right one, and if you don't convert, you are doomed. Relatedly, I think the SBNR movement is also driven by the sense that religion in general is anti-science and anti-intellectual. And related to that, I think an increasing number of people in the West are finding it harder and harder to believe the theological truth claims of religion, right? This, This literal conservative reading of scripture that we find often even in more moderate churches. Uh, and these, these, frankly, these understandings of reality that don't comport with people's lived reality or natural history. I think these are also reasons for the growth of the SBNR movement. Uh, and I think also um, what's driving it is the sense that God or ultimate reality, however you define it, is too big to be confined or defined by one religion or one church or one denomination, whatever. 
Um, all religions, it's believed, have a piece of the puzzle, as it were, or their own understanding of ultimate reality, but none of them get it exactly right. Therefore, the thinking is, what's the point in becoming an adherent to any particular religion? They're all a little wrong and all a little right. What's, what's the point? I think that's, that thinking is also a big part of what's driving the SBNR movement today. And I think technology and the internet is playing a big role too. The, you know, the internet and global media in general, for the first time in human history, in our generation, has made us all aware of, of all these different religions and cultures and worldviews. It's at our fingertips. It's in front of our face every day which in turn has led to a kind of relativizing of them. In other words, we see them, we see all these different cultures and religions and worldviews as human constructs. Rather than divine revelation, the idea that only one of them is correct and that we have to find out which one it is and then convert to that or we're doomed or something, this is preposterous to modern people like us. And this realization and relativizing of religion is another factor of what's driving the SBNR movement. But in order to really understand it, I, I think it helps to understand the history and the origins of this phrase, spiritual but not religious. It's actually quite old. It's not really new. It's thought that the first time the phrase showed up in print was in 1915. 1915, 1915, when the Lusitania was sunk just off the coast of Ireland by uh, sunk by a torpedo from a German submarine, there was a, a newspaper uh, that publicized a memorial service for those on the ship by describing the ceremony as spiritual, not religious. Just thought that's the first time that that phrase was used in print. Around the same time, there's a record of a rotary club <laughs> here in the United States. Uh, advertising itself as a spiritual but not religious organization. Fast forward about 20 years later into the 1940s in the Alcoholics Anonymous movement, which had just begun, began using the phrase spiritual but not religious as a way to encourage those in recovery to find any higher power, any, any kind of religious or spiritual practice that could uh, aid them, support them in their recovery and their efforts to remain sober. Uh, this idea of finding a higher power, uh, of course, is, was carried on to a, into a variety of 12-step programs, right, uh, and that, have, that has proliferated in the United States and North America in particular over the last 80 years or so. Uh, so the phrase really took off, spiritual but not religious, in large part because of AA and 12-step programs. You know, couple that with the profound social and religious upheavals of the 1960s, right? And the influx of both Eastern and, and New Age religions into the United States, thus displacing traditional religions, namely Christianity, to some degree. Keep in mind, this is also the time when postmodern theory really found its home in the culture, really took off, we would say. Postmodern theory is typified by the questioning of all traditional authority structures, a kind of suspicion of meta narratives, meaning stories that you know define everything, that define who you are, where you fit into the class system. You know, meta narratives are large, overarching stories that define culture and reality. 
postmodern postmodernism is about the a suspicion for those stories, right? A critique of them. Again, questioning of all traditional authority structures and the realization that all aspects of culture, religion included, are are culturally contingent constructs, social constructs, historical, contingent to where they come from, right? Rather than, you know, unquestionable forms of divine revelation that just fell out of heaven one day. All this, too, has played a role in the growth of the SBNR movement. This is also where deconst the deconstruction movement comes from, which is more of a, well, it's not new, but the word deconstruction in the culture has only really been around, used like it has been just for the last 20 years, but this is part of it, too. It's all related. And so about 15 or 20 years ago, Gallup and Pew Research began including SBNR on their polling forms as an option for people to select when describing their religious affiliation or lack thereof. That really solidified the phrase in the public lexicon, like nothing else. All right, so that's basically the history of the term spiritual or the phrase spiritual but not religious, where it comes from. And I think what it's, what's important to understand from all that is that this term and the ideas that animate it are nothing new. These ideas have been around for more than a century. And really, if you look back, even at, at the colonists of this country, so hundreds of years ago, the pilgrims and the early religious settlers of New England, they looked for God, not just in scripture, but in nature. Church attendance back then was actually less than it is now. That surprises a lot of people. Contrary to popular belief, the early United States was not the bastion of conservative church-going Christians like so many imagine or assume. Percentage-wise, far less of the U.S. population attended church in the 18th and 19th century than they do now. Were these people atheists or wholly irreligious or unspiritual? No, I don't think so. Consider Ralph Waldo Emerson a great example of 19th century American spirituality. He abandoned his pulpit in the congregational church for transcendentalism. He was a Harvard Divinity School trained congregational minister who gave up his career in order to take on a career teaching transcendental philosophy, which was the idea, I'm summarizing it here, which was the idea that divine experience was inherent in everyday life and that one didn't need to go to church or join a religion to know God or experience a kind of mystical connection with ultimate reality. Ralph Waldo Emerson and countless others back then were SBNR, we would say, long before SBNR, the term, existed. We could, we could also talk about William James, the late 19th century, early 20th century American psychologist who wrote the seminal book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, which basically launched the academic field of comparative religions. William James convinced many that the world's various religions and spiritual traditions all share a common root in the human capacity and propensity for mystical and spiritual experience. 
and that these experiences can be found anywhere at any time, in anyone, any culture. Spiritual and religious experiences, therefore, transcend culture, time, and place. Just what it means to be human, to be spiritual, James was arguing. This, this was groundbreaking stuff in the late 19th, early 20th century. I could go on and, and talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that Lutheran pastor, who in 1945 coined the phrase religionless Christianity. You've heard me talk about that before. He coined this phrase religionless Christianity, which by that he meant kind of religionless religion. You don't really get more SBNR than this. He was talking about a religionless religion, a religion that was more about a way of living in the world rather than a set of emotive beliefs or theology or these kinds of things to hold on to or rituals or traditions. My point is there is a long and rich history of people being SBNR and thinking in terms of SBNR long before the phrase and the acronym ever really existed. And to me, this means that this movement is neither flippant nor a fad. That's a key takeaway today. The SBNR movement, I think, is neither flippant nor a fad. It's not new and it's not superficial or as meaningless as some would say. In fact, I would venture to say that many of us, including myself, fit into this movement. But that said, there's some legit critiques of it. And I want to, uh, to introduce you to some of those here this morning to perhaps understand it better, the, the movement. One of the critiques I've heard is that those who say I'm spiritual but not religious are often not really spiritual either, as it turns out. <laughs> you laugh because you know it's true. Um, meaning they're just really ambivalent and indifferent about this whole God thing, right? Um, they're indifferent, they're am and ambivalent and indifferent about God, faith, spirituality, theology, philosophy, metaphysics, the whole enterprise, right? They don't know what they believe and they don't care. They don't think it matters. They got bills to pay, kids to raise. Who can blame them? You know? How does this invisible, silent being from beyond make any meaningful claim on my life? I got bills, I got kids, you know, I got a job, I got a boss to worry about. You know, who can blame them for being a little indifferent or very indifferent, right? They're, they're kind of agnostic. They're not atheists, really, nor are they traditional theists, but they don't really want to call themselves agnostic either, so they just go with spiritual but not religious, which sounds better, right? But it's a bit misleading. Because in reality, they're ambivalent about spirituality uh, and therefore are not really spiritual in any meaningful way. Some actually call this position apathyism, which is a great term to know. It's a combination of the words apathy and theism, right? If you're apathetic about God, faith, and spirituality, but you're not really an, an atheist, you know, maybe you're an, an apathyist. Anyway, I think that's true for many SBNRs. And maybe that's not so much a critique uh, of the movement, but a recognition that the term can be a bit misleading sometimes. I remember when Damien Gedry was here, a uh, church consultant that we hired back in the fall to help us revamp our, uh, our online presence and raise our visibility. And by the way, he was quite helpful in that regard. Um, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, great guy really glad we hired him. And when, when he was here, he talked about how one of our biggest target audiences here at Central are, is the SBNR crowd. You know, he talked about how can we, you know, reach that crowd better. 
And he joked about how, uh, how when many of them say they're spiritual but not religious, what they really mean is they like to go on hikes <laughs> or that they like long walks on the beach. Uh, and while I think there's some truth to that, it's funny because it's true. All right. Well, there, there's some truth to that. I also think it's a bit unfair because the fact is that people have been connecting to God or a sense of the transcendent through nature forever. Finding oneself overcome by the beauty and the grandeur of the natural world while on a hike or something is totally spiritual. And it's not uncommon. I, I get there emotionally, spiritually, even when I'm overcome by the beauty and the grandeur of nature. I mean, Quite, quite often, that's the best way to connect with that sense of being a part of something much bigger than ourselves and connected to the cosmos. I mean, that happens on hikes, you know, or when you're out surfing or whatever, you know. Uh, another critique of the movement comes from our friend Peter Rollins, who titles the chapter in one of his books, Spiritual But Not Religious and Other, Other Religious Sayings, right? spiritual but not religious, and then in parentheses, and other religious sayings. By that, he means there's something ironically, often, really religious about saying you're spiritual but not religious. That, too, can be a kind of creed, right? A statement of faith or a kind of religious confession. In other words, if religion is defined by a belief in an ultimate reality that one should adapt themselves to, then spirituality and religious can mean basically the same thing. There are countless different definitions of religion, right? There is no single one correct definition of religion. There is endless definitions of it. Um, but if, if one definition is that it's, a, it's the belief in an ultimate reality that one should adapt themselves to. And that ultimate reality can be a lot of different things, right? It can be love and justice. It can be, you know, this, this, the belief that there is something transcendent or immaterial about us or the cosmos. It can be this sense of connection to everything around us. It can be a lot of different things. But if that's what we mean by religion, that there is an ultimate reality that we should adapt ourselves to, then religious and spiritual are just synonyms for each other. They can basically just mean the same thing. And therefore saying I'm spiritual but not religious is really just a very religious thing to say, which I agree with. So the, those are some good critiques of the SBNR movement and hopefully that helps you understand it better. My goal today in this first installment of this three-part series was just to give us a basic understanding of what this term and, and this movement is all about, where it comes from, the history of it, in the hopes of demonstrating that it's not a fad, and it's not flippant, it's not superficial, and it's not meaningless. In fact, I would venture to say that we here at Central, mo many of us probably identify a lot with, you know, being SBNR, right? Um, and so... Uh, Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
that's what I wanted to do this morning. And I want to open it up now uh, for discussion. And uh, obviously anything goes per use. You can uh, raise any questions, comments, disagreements. But I also just for the point, the purpose of maybe sparking a conversation, would love to hear how you define what it means to be SBNR. <laughs> Even if you're not SBNR, I'd love to hear your take on what does it mean to be spiritual and not religious today. But yeah, anybody have anything this morning? Um, for those of you who are new here, we have a discussion at the end of every talk, Sunday talk, because we believe in learning from each other. Yeah, Marsha, did you have something? I saw you. Cool. Let me give you a mic just so that people listening uh, on the internet can uh, hear you as well. Yeah. First of all, I was born with the dinosaurs, so I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> very, very old. Marsha is a friend of mine, I should say, from Windsor, which is where I chaplain part-time here in, in Glendale. Welcome, welcome, Marsha. So probably if we add all of your ages together, I'm still older. <laughs> so you can revere me. Anyway, uh, ever since I was a really little kid, I knew there was God. So I don't get, I never even heard this term you just spit out. Uh, SBNR? No, I never heard it. But, um, but then again, I've been with the dinosaurs. So when I was a little kid, I knew there was God. And my grandfather, who could quote any page in the Bible, you just name a page and he could quote it, would come to me on Sundays and try to have me convince him there really is God, because for some reason, he started doubting it, my grandfather. And I could not convey to him, but I knew it. And I don't understand why that could be unique, but apparently there are a lot of people like my grandfather here. You don't look as old, but he was to say, he's dead. But... Yeah. So I- That's okay. I'm, I'm at a loss here, because I- That's okay. I knew it from be, um, probably before I was first grade. Yeah, I, I think the best way to respond to that briefly, Marcia, and we, you and I can talk about this more later, but you know, we see, doubt and questions as actually a part of faith and what it means to be in spiritual community and to uh, explore faith. Faith and doubt are like two sides of the same coin. Unknowing, mystery, that's all part of it. And so, you know, it's in particular our generation, as I talked about, um, I think is processing a lot more of that maybe than previous generations. But yeah, Tom, did you want to respond? Please. Uh, I love what you said. I, I want to thank you for for sharing that. Um, I've been getting in a lot more conversations lately with people who've been raised in the church and they've never had a sense of divine presence. They've never had that. And I've gotten out of a just graduated a therapy program and I'm in therapy with people and I'm just beginning to appreciate finally just how different the world is inside each mind. Yeah. And how you know, in therapy, you learn about how the similarities and the ways that people are are programmed and the ways that things work. But then you talk with them and you realize just how seemingly uh, unnecessary those similarities seem because there's so much difference in just the way of understanding it. And I think for me, the spiritual but not religious comes out of this sense that Part of it, at least, especially in the 1800s, too, after the discovery of like electricity and the channeling of that and all those different discoveries. And when before all of that, when you were a child, you looked at the world and it kind of made sense. And you children tell stories about the world to themselves and they understand the world in these spiritual ways of that. 
that the world is inhabited by spirit and that tree isn't just a tree it's a spirit Mm. um but to be alive in society meant to learn that nothing that you could see could be trusted because it's all atoms and it's germs and it's electricity and it's magnetism and it's physics and part of being alive now is this inherent mistrust of all experience and that even to just walk down the street is this act of faith that you're not going to fall through the atoms. Right. <laughs> so there's something that just seems very confused in general. And I feel like that's part of what, why the stories that made sense don't make sense. But even the things that are, that we can prove with science and observation, none of that makes sense either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as we expand our understanding of the natural world through science, right? It's like the island metaphor you know, as the body of knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of mystery, you know, and uh, we we continue to encounter more and more about the natural world that kind of is teaching us that mystery and uncertainty is not just a function of our inability to apprehend nature, but it's actually hard baked into nature itself, <laughs> the inscrutable, na- you know, nature and the universe is isn't mysterious because we just lack the right brains or the right tools or the right methods. Nature is mysterious because it's just intrinsically so. Um, we're learning this now, I feel like, um, that uncertainty and mystery and novelty is baked into it itself. And we will never understand. And so we're, I feel like as a civilization, you're right, Tom, we're kind of, I think, coming to terms with that. And uh, that can be a little scary and unsettling. And perhaps faith is a way of embracing the scary and the unsettling and the uncertainty and and by embrace, I mean make peace with it. And so, Marsha, you know, to just answer your question a little bit, we see the embrace of uncertainty, unknowing, and doubt here as a kind of radical affirmation of life and truth, and that is a kind of faith. And so, you, you, we, you and I can talk more about that because um, I know you're perplexed. You look perplexed. <laughs> you have a thought. Okay, one more, and then we'll hear from some some others if they want to jump in. Here you are. It's like an epiphany right now. Hey, and you know what? This is Epiphany Sunday ah. on the church calendar. <laughs> and we'll, I was going to talk about this. I lead a service at, at Windsor Sunday afternoons. Marsha attends it. I was going to talk about this anyway, this Sunday, Epiphany. Anyway, you're funny. Go ahead. <laughs> there are miracles every day. So, I mean, that's like proof God exists. But um, I mean, it's just, and I did once ask, does he run out of miracles? And someone told me no. And it's true every day. So I think what I'm hearing is that maybe why my grandfather asked me, and I was, I mean, he couldn't shake me, and of course I couldn't shake him, um, is you are all overthinking it. When you're a little kid, you know, you know things. You don't have to learn them in a book. You don't have to go to school to learn them. You just know. And... I think that's why I knew, but I couldn't convince my grandfather and why maybe some of you are having a hard time. You're overthinking it. Turn back to when you were a little kid and you had curiosity and you loved the earth and you loved everything. You didn't know there were bad things maybe to be afraid of. You just knew it. there was goodness. And that's God. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's lovely. Goodness is God. I like that. Yeah. Um, and to uh, here, Ann, take this mic because that one's cutting it out. I want people to hear you. 
I'm somebody who tends to like shun um, labels. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like to be categorized too much in general. Um, and so I've never thought of myself as quote spiritual, but not religious. Cause I'm so I've, you know, always identified as Christian because that was just the culture I was raised in, but I was always the cantankerous Christian and, um, and it just occurs to me as, as we're talking, like the way I would define spiritual, but not religious is that spirituality is the mystery is the knowing that there's something there, but not necessarily being able to define it. Very similar to you being able to just say, God just is right. And religion tries to codify that. And then when that that structure starts to fail they're so integrated for us in many many times that our our spiritual we we start to walk away from any spirituality as well um spiritual but not religious to me feels like a more um like fundamental like the the more basic view of God, like, like there's, a, there is some spiritual aspect to this world, but I don't have to apply a religious code to that. I can choose to live in a certain structure. I can choose, like, this is the thing that resonates the most for me as a way to try to pursue that spirituality or that resonates with me, but it doesn't have to define spirituality in and of itself. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, Jen. I think um, uh, it's good in this conversation to keep like be the belief in God and religion separate because they can be, I think, them being two different things is very healing. Like even when I was 13 and I was like, F you, church. Um, <laughs> I still always believed in God. I still always believed that there was a God, some sort of God. You know, I didn't have a concept of what that meant, but I knew that that religion that I was in was not something I wanted. Um, so I think that can be really helpful in thinking about this concept. Um, and then just, I think one comment for me is like, um, definitely, I would definitely never use the title Christian. I would never tell anyone, oh, I'm a Christian, because it just has so much attached to it, you know, but I am spiritual. I believe that there's a God. I, you know, I think science for me is incredibly spiritual because the more I learn about physics and atoms and all that stuff, the more I am kind of amazed, you know, like that there's a God who created science in all honesty <laughs> and how, how amazing it is the more that we learn about it. So, yeah. So I think that's important. The difference between believing in God and, or, or a spiritual per thing and not needing to be religious. So. Thanks. Really good stuff. Yeah. Vitaly and would you, uh, Leanne, would you pass this? Well, to me, 
uh, I'm former evangelical, post-evangelical, was very involved in the church planting, so it was all about churches, religion, community. And uh, it started with perplexity, where I would take your phrase, where I came to this conclusion by the age of 45, F your church. <laughs> but it cannot stay there. So for me, this phrase is more like transitioning phrase. It's like liminal phrase. It needs to go somewhere. And uh, so to me, the spiritual, uh, not religious, it comes, it starts with, I'm done with the church, the religion, with faith, with the community. But then it goes to something that I want to be connected to the deity. I don't want to live in a box uh, defined by beliefs or by religious customs. I want to understand, I want to experience, and I want to love. So that's transitioning. Is there somebody else? Oh, Steve. Hey. I really like that. The, I think that sums up a little bit of, uh, of my thought as well. I think I've often sort of eschewed the like people who use the phrase uh, spiritual but not religious because a lot of times it is, um, it sort of feels like a, well, I just know I'm not that. And so I'm just going to like throw, for some people I've, I've encountered that use it, it's sort of like, well, I'm just going to throw myself in that. Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual and we'll just move on and, and not think a lot about it. Um, but I like the idea of it as sort of a liminal space. Um, and I also like the idea of it as a phrase that uh, removes some of the baggage. I'm reminded of uh, early in the 2000s, evangelical churches that were using the phrase, it's a relationship, not a religion, to sort of also kind of like move through some of that baggage and to kind of like think about a little bit more of a core of like what we're actually doing here, as opposed to just going through the same uh, motions or rituals or like getting caught up in that side of things. So yeah, I really appreciate this talk because often, you know, when you said it, I was like, spiritual, not religious. It's like that's cliche. It's a little cliche. Um, but it is, it does kind of get to the sort of like thinking about this mystically or with the wonder as opposed to um, you know, certainly the religion I had growing up of Catholicism of sort of sit down, stand up and do the same sort of rituals over and over again. So I appreciate it. And, and you, you made a really good point, Steve. I think that word religion for our culture became a, a very negative term and, and not necessarily, it didn't have to be, but it did. It became a negative term that I think became synonymous with rote kind of rituals and kind of tradition for tradition's sake and kind of oppressive, uh, you know, uh, orthodoxies and, and, you know, pastors and priests who are obsessed with controlling people. And uh, it became this, this bad thing, even so, so much so that even conservatives, evangelicals are like, I'm not religious. I'm, I am in a relationship with God. You know, I, we're not religious here, you know, <laughs> um, was, that's funny. Uh, and I actually have friends who are on the total Christian left, like radical theology. Um, just a lot of you know what I mean by that, um, who actually have reversed it and says, and they'll say, I'm not spiritual, I'm religious. Uh, uh, or I'm, 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 yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm religious, not spiritual. 
And by that, they simply mean they enjoy actually the, 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 the spiritual practices or the ritual practices or the theology and, and actually studying the church, but they don't think of themselves as spiritual anymore. <laughs> So it's but in a way they they are because they enjoy theology and and the tradition they've kind of reappropriated it um, which is funny how everything is dialectical like that you know um, you go so far you know towards atheism and and go to the left and you end up you know like that uh, uh, you come come back around again that's life right um, in any of it thanks good point um, we have a couple minutes left anybody have anything else they want to add to this conversation or a question? I would like to say something. I don't know. Yeah, who, who's can... that? Karen. Karen from- Oh yeah, hey, hey, welcome hey. back. <laughs> yep. I'm happy to be here and enjoying everyone's comments and um, the dinosaurs specifically. Oh, she said, oh my goodness, I have an epiphany. It's, it's good, you know, like Marsha, I think her name is. But um, so I, um, wanted to say my discomfort when I hear the word spirituality. I um, see people who said I'm spiritual, but not religious in the past. They were the people who would do like tarot and um, crystals and those sort of like earth um, uh, items and angels and whatnot, like archangel talk and, and being mediums and psychics and so it's this other world and that always scared me. And to this day, I'm not really comfortable with Ouija boards and ghosts and like all this other realm that people try to get uh, comfortable with or control or get to know. And so I stay away from that. So that's why I don't wanna call myself spiritual. And, but uh, like Marsha said, um, I, I love when I feel tenderness in my heart towards children or um, towards people in general, like those tender moments that you described seeing the sunset and this being in awe. And so that to me, if I would, could give this a name, that's my sense of feeling connected to a oneness. And so I don't wanna call it spiritual. So I never uh, um, select that box. If it's on a piece of paper, I, no, I'm not, not spiritual and I'm definitely not religious. I've, I've grown up in Catholic and Protestant churches, and um, that seemed not real to me, very much a cult and very exclusive, all the bad things that you said before. So to me, um, my personal take, I always say, oh, I'm, I select nothing. I'm nothing, you know, like, but I, in the sense of, I know in my heart, I'm with the oneness. Mm -hmm. Like I'm connected to what all, life forms are connected to even rocks and non-living things like water and all of it so that's my take thank you oh that's really good thanks thanks karen and my cutting out per usual hey aaron it's emily oh hey emily yeah go ahead um great conversation i agree with most people that have talked especially about like um Jen, who I think as LGBTQ identifying people, um, the church really was an ostracizing place. And so I think we all went through the, you know, F the church type of um, phase, I guess. Um, sometimes the phase lasts for longer than we planned. Um, but 
I had to go on like a faith journey. And what I found was the more research that I did and delved into that pertained to homosexuality and what it means in the Bible and all that kind of thing. Um, and the Bible itself, um, I felt closer to God and I always knew that there was one. And I always felt like I was a conduit of him, which I think him or her, whatever were, you know, um, I, I always felt God, Mm -hmm. um, And I, and that you couldn't take away from me, but feeling God also, I think allowed me to know that what I was involved in, which, uh, some of us may know was a cult like church for me, which was born again, but, um, the home church of a abortion clinic bomber and murder and abortion doctor murderer. So it was very controlling. It was very, um, condemning. It was very shaming. It was very blaming. And so, um, you were taught to not have doubts. And so I think that that is a dangerous part because then people can live with doubts that fester into other things that can cause um, detrimental things to happen to people. If, If you're not allowed to question, if you're not allowed to have conversation and you have to bottle things in, and I speak from an LGBTQ standpoint of having to bottle that in, when you are in the church, when they're talking about you and condemning you, but they don't know about you. Um, it's a very interesting place to be where you have got to sort of bury things and then dig them back up and go through them and face them and get through it. So I also agree with the whole spiritual, not religious being a phase. Like you ha- you must move on from that. I think it's a part of the deconstructing process and then reconstructing, um, like I'm in the phase where I say, oh, we're Christian, but we're not that type of Christian. Cause I immediately know where someone's head goes when I say I'm Christian in this country. So, um, you know, I don't vote against myself. I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who is a part of the construct of brainwashing where you literally vote against yourself thinking that you're voting for yourself. Um, so I think there's just a lot of logical uh, thinking that needs to go along with this process of faith, but I think that that definitely involves doubt. And if there's not a welcoming part of doubt and questioning, then I think that's the dangerous part of it. Yeah, excellent, good stuff. I love that we could hear a variety of different perspectives here this morning, mm-hmm. and kind of sit with that, you know, this is a community that embraces that kind of diversity and the fact that we're coming from different places in our spiritual journeys and um, we're going different places in our spiritual journeys. And that's wonderful. That's okay. It's to be affirmed and welcomed in in this space and held here. And um, this is a great start to a longer conversation <laughs> that is more than just a three-week conversation, right? But this today was a great start in in this uh, in this conversation. And so let's conclude our time together by um, saying our benediction together. Um, there it is on the screen. So let's let's say this together now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Thank you for being here today, and thank you to all of you who joined us online, and go in peace. 